Well, howdy y'all. Welcome back to episode number 47 of Once Upon a Time in Texas. I am your host, Michael Mitchell. So, uh, my kids are out for Christmas break, and uh, that's been kind of nice. My kids and wife, actually, they're out. Uh, my mother is not out of school yet. She's the technology teacher at a small school um, just east of Wichita Falls here. And she's not out yet, but she had to rub it in that they don't go back um, quite as early as Wichita Falls does. So I was asking her about that, and they said, well, we have the county show right after the first of the year. And so what the school districts did in the county is they just said, well, you know what, we'll just go to school a little longer, um, you know, closer to Christmas and then everybody will be out for Christmas and then New Year's. And then uh, we'll just have the county show after that. And uh, so rather than school coming back in to session and a lot of the kids being gone because of the county show, they're just changing the Christmas break up a little bit and uh, making it to where the kids are still out <laughs> for the county show. Uh, just cracks me up. Welcome to Texas, y'all. County shows take a big priority around here. And as they should. So, in other news, my oldest uh, daughter, Lorelai, we are going out today to meet with a local organization called Northwest Texas Field and Stream, where all three of my kids do um, shooting sports and uh, shooting competition. And they actually have an Eagle Scout project that they would like for her to do. So we're going to go chat with them about that and kind of noodle out some of the details and start that process. So it's going to be a great day, a little windy, lots of leaves on the ground, but uh, you know, I think we're going to be in the mid 60s today, which is kind of odd for uh, for Christmas time, but you know, I'll take it where we can get it. So all right, let me go ahead and uh, front load this um, podcast just a little bit today. Have you ever been around someone that tells stories and you just kind of end up hanging on every word they have to say and you can't really wait for them to tell their next yarn you know you're just ah you just love it and i can tell you that i've sure been around a lot of folks like that in my case i was around a bunch of folks like uh like that in my life so i have a few in my family um some people call them you know bullshitters storytellers you know, yarn stringers, whatever. But uh, yeah, I've got a few in my family. Most of them are bullshitters though. <laughs> so, but a bunch of the folks that I've been around are uh, through my time in scouting, through Boy Scouts, as a youth, as a professional scouter, and then now as a, a volunteer. And really it's it's been a great thing to be able to listen to these stories and share stories of my own, you know, all true, of course. And, uh, and most, you know, not most, but some of them have a little smidge of, of exaggeration because, you know, that's, that's what happens. But, uh, anyway, so yeah, so we're going to tell a few stories today. I'm just going to riff a little bit and I'll tell you how I got to this particular podcast. So before we hitch onto this wagon, about stories, I want to make an announcement. I have, as of last week, officially moved mortgage companies. I am now with a company called Victory Home Loans, headquartered in Granbury, Texas. 
and they serve 15 states, um, Arizona, California, Colorado, Florida, Idaho, North Carolina, Oklahoma, Oregon, South Carolina, South Dakota, Texas, Utah, and Washington State. So it's really a, it's a fantastic company. Um, lots of support, lots of knowledge, expertise, and they're really kind of on the leading edge of technology so far. And so what does this mean to you as uh, you or really anyone that you know who may be looking to buy a home when you send them my way? Really, the stories and, you know, the fun that really doesn't change because you're still going to be working with me. I'm still the same old guy. But what does it really mean in the long run? Well, hopefully uh, faster, cheaper, and easier service, which working with a broker does for you anyway, um, but also better interest rates. Um, they are just a larger company with several of the um, wholesale lenders that we use, and so they get better rates, and we pass that on to you. And so... Same great, excellent service with even better pricing on products. That's pretty much what it comes down to. So that's my big announcement for the week that just happened. We're going to be kicking that off in a big way in January. Um, so as always, I want to go ahead and move forward and thank our sponsors, which are me and now Victory Home Loans. I know there are tons of people moving to and in Texas and, of course, Oklahoma, and I know a lot of y'all know people too. So let me help them out. As I've told y'all before, I'm in, I am an independent mortgage loan originator working uh, with Victory Home Loans at this point. And so uh, I like helping people get into their dream homes. Working with a broker is better than working with the big box bank. We're faster, cheaper, and easier. And uh, really, we have our customers and clients' best interest in mind. So there you go. That's the spiel. So if you want to work with somebody who's at least a little entertaining um, throughout the whole mortgage process, which is not always a fun process, but somebody who's a little entertaining and tries to make that as painless as possible, but is also faster and cheaper and easier, send them over to somebody like me. Send them over my way to themichaelmitchell.com, T-H-E, michaelmitchell.com. Let me help them out. Remember, when you work with me, I sell dreams, not mortgages. So, I guess last week I was meeting with some friends, some old scouting buddies, and we ended up sitting around uh, BSing as we normally do and got to telling stories about this, that, and the other. Of course, you know, I told you all about going camping with uh, daughter number two and uh, my son, Went out camping with them, got a lot of rank advancement knocked out. And I was telling them, you know, telling some of the other leaders stories about Camp Perkins, where we were. And uh, anyway, one of the friends is a, a, a friend of mine, a fellow leader named Sharice. And I just, I happened to go to high school with Sharice. She was a, she graduated a year before I did, but we were friends most, most of the way through high school. Kind of kept up with each other. And anyway, I was telling her stories about my scouting experiences at Philmont and at Camp Perkins and <clears throat> all that. And she said, holy smokes, I, I had no idea that you did all this stuff. She said, you're always interesting and fun to listen to. But she said, I didn't know you were this interesting, <laughs> which I, 
I guess is a compliment. I don't know. Sharice, if you listen to this podcast, you may have to tell me, if, uh, you know, have I always been this interesting? I don't know. But I was fortunate to grow up around a lot of people that told stories and really did a good job building relationships and building up stories. And, um, you know, and so I, I picked up on a lot of that and I picked up on a ton of people's I guess, mannerisms and the way I talk and the the things I say. And I get lots of good compliments from people that say, I just love your podcast. You're easy to listen to. You're entertaining and you make me smile. You know, feel like you're sitting right here next to me talking to me. It's, uh, you know, that makes me feel good because it's, I really just (laughs) started this podcast for, for fun and basically tell my take on some of the history that I find. So this week... I decided, uh, I, I really hadn't felt inspired, I guess. Nothing, nothing really jumped out at me. And then somebody got to talking to me about my time when I worked for the Boy Scouts in West Texas. And I just launched off and we ended up having, you know, an hour long kind of BS session, I guess. And, uh, I thought, you know, maybe I should just riff a little bit on some of the stories I've got from my time working out in West Texas. And so, to, to kind of set it up, I worked for the Boy Scout Council out of San Angelo. At the time, it was called the Concho Valley Council, and they've now changed it to the Texas Southwest Council, which my friend Devin is the scout executive for. Uh, he was not then, but he is now. And he and I worked at Philmont together um, back in the day, and he's just a super cool guy. Um, but the change of name was a good one because really the Concho Valley Council really only described the Concho Valley, which was right around San Angelo. And uh, inside the entire council, I mean, you've got Fort Stockton, which is kind of the, the northernmost part of the Chihuahua Desert, very deserty out there. And then you get down into kind of the hill country type area around Junction, and then get down into Del Rio, Eagle Pass. Um, you know, so Concho Valley really didn't describe the entire council. And so I think they made a good move. But when I was there, it was Concho Valley. And I served the Permian Basin District, which was 21,000 square miles of West Texas. Um, I think my district was larger than any of the original 13 colonies. I think that's what I was told at one time, but I'm not sure that's entirely true. It's definitely bigger than Rhode Island, um, but I think there's a lot of things bigger than Rhode Island. But, you know. Um, So anyway, uh, just had some interesting times. I remember uh, my scout exec at the time was a super neat guy. He's still around, still talk to him. And, uh, you know, one of the rules with the Boy Scouts is that you don't, carry loaded weapons in your vehicle. Like you can carry, um, you can carry firearms because, you know, obviously we transfer 22 pistols and stuff around and, you know, from camp to camp or whatever, but like, it's just kind of, you know, considered standard practice that you're not cruising around with a loaded pistol in your glove box or whatever. And so I had that discussion and, you know, signed all the paperwork and everything right after I'd gotten on. And they said, but uh, after they put all that away, they said, but you got to remember most of the country, most of the world and the people who made these rules don't 
don't understand what it's like working down on the border. So, if you want to carry a pistol, like, that's probably not a terrible idea. <laughs> so, I always did. Thank heavens I never had to use it. But, uh, man, there it's just it's a different thing down there. It's definitely a, a, a cool culture. And, you know, however you agree politically, what I will say is that um, the border country is not something to be scared of, you know, per se. There are certainly elements and things that happen down there, but I always had a very good time. And so I will, I will tell one of my scary stories. Um, I had gone down to help our district executive in Del Rio. He had asked me if I could go down to a little town called Comstock. And we would do what we called boy talks. And now I guess we just call them scout talks because boys and girls can be in the Boy Scouts. But we would go down and do boy talks, which typically consisted of us going in in uniform. Um, We would go classroom to classroom. We would talk to all the boys in the classroom. We'd give them flyers and we'd say, we're going to be right here at your school tonight at 630. If you want to sign up for Cub Scouts or Boy Scouts, come see us. And so... Fortunately and unfortunately, sometimes that left us with lots of time because Comstock was a good, I don't know, two hours or more from San Angelo where I lived. And so pretty much everywhere was a long way down there. But so if you got out there and did boy talks at like nine o'clock in the morning, I mean, you weren't going to drive home and then turn around and drive back. And so there were lots of times that I would... uh you know, take a book with me and I'd go read in a, in a cemetery usually because cemeteries are quiet. Um, so I would go read. I'd usually go eat lunch somewhere. I'd go usually meet with like a, a county judge or a sheriff or, you know, kind of just go see some of the movers and shakers in town. But inevitably I usually had two or three hours of time that I could kill. And when I went to Comstock, it ended up being a lot more than that. And so, I, I had lunch. There was a little restaurant right there and, and I went in. I was the only person in there and the guy started speaking Spanish to me and I I don't know enough Spanish to really have a good conversation. And anyway, the guy's like, oh, hell, you know, I'll, I'll speak English to you, I guess. And uh, anyway, he makes me lunch and then he comes out and just sits down across the table from me because there's nobody else in there. And we just start chit-chatting. And he was from Mexico, and he would cross the Rio Grande. He had a little farm, and most of his vegetables and stuff that he had that he used to cook with in his restaurant came from the Mexico side. He would just mosey over there, tend to his garden, and then mosey back across the Rio Grande. And so I thought, man, that's really cool. And there are lots of people down there that do that. And so, um, but on that day... I was excited. I, I asked that guy, I remember asking him, say, hey, where is there a place where I can get down easily to the Rio Grande? You know, kind of a pretty spot. And he said, oh, you know, go up the road a ways and then you pull down here, park at this area and you can, you know, wade out into the Rio Grande, which wasn't very deep at the time. And so he told me where to go. And so I mosey out there and I just got done taking off my socks and shoes and I rolled my pants up and I'm in scout uniform And I call my mother and I start waiting out and she answers and I said, guess where I'm at? She said, where? I said, I'm standing in the middle of the Rio Grande. And she's like, no kidding. I'm like, yeah. 
it's really cool. It's really shallow right now. I mean, it was only up to about mid-calf. And then all of a sudden, I heard this loud bang. And then two or three more, and I was like, oh, shit. (laughs) And I hear mom start talking and going, what is that? And I was moving. Um, Pretty much had two movements, a, a bowel movement and a physical movement right out of the Rio Grande because somebody from the Mexico side was shooting at me. Um, they took three or four pot shots. They weren't trying to hit me. They were trying to scare me, and it worked. Uh, I made it all the way back to my car, and it started it, and was heading out before I realized I'd left my socks and shoes. And so I had to go back down there, but I looked and couldn't see anybody, and so I snuck out of my car, ran over, grabbed my socks and shoes, and left. (laughs) And so my phone was still in my pocket. My mom is like, what is going on? Like freaking out. And I told her, I said, I just got shot at. And she's like, what? And I told her, apparently somebody, you know, that were on the cliffs on the Mexico side decided it wasn't a good idea for me to be there. And uh, I agreed with them (laughs) heavily and uh, thankful that they weren't shooting to, uh, to hit me or hurt me. They just wanted to scare me and they did a good job. And so at that point, I decided it was a good day to go visit the Judge Roy Bean Museum, which was not far away. Ended up spending the majority of the day there. Um, Took some cool photography, which I have loaded up on my uh, howlingcoyotephotography.com website. Um, But yeah, that was definitely an interesting day. uh, Another story is uh, for some reason I hated being late and in West Texas you can get away with speeding a little bit just because there's not a whole lot going on out there and it's for any of y'all around the country that don't understand this I mean West Texas and a lot of Texas a lot of the towns are are about 30 miles apart and and I was told and I think this this sounds about right it tracks right that a lot of it had to do with like train stations and so the trains would have to fill up on water or coal or whatever and so about 30 miles was a good stopping point but they would also pick up and drop off mail and stuff like that so anyway so i mean but out in west texas it just seems like it's all a little further like 40 or 50 miles and i i had gotten out of town late and i had a a uh meeting with my cupmaster in Sanderson, Texas. And the guy was tough to get a hold of because he was just kind of all over. And Sanderson is way down on the border. And so I just left the little town of Sheffield and it was like, I don't know, 70 or 80 miles on down to Sanderson. And you could just see forever. And so I thought, it's time to book it. And so I'd cranked this old 2000 Ford Explorer that was my was my business vehicle i had cranked it up and i was doing about 105 and i come around this little curve and boom here comes board uh, border patrol going the other direction and no sooner than he passed me he cranked his lights on and i went ah crap i'm going to jail because i was doing 105 and a 60 (laughs) so he pulls me over um, which took him a while because um, he had to get shut down and turn around. I saw his lights kick on, so I went ahead and started shutting it down. But by the time everything happened, we were a long ways apart. And so he finally gets back to me 
And I'd already pulled over and I was waiting on him. And he comes walking up and he said, do you know how fast you were going? And I looked at him. I knew I was in trouble. And I said, I was going pretty fast, but I think you were going faster than I was. And he smiles real big and he goes, you're right. I got you at 105, um, but I was doing 109. And I was like, wow. I said, am I in big trouble? And he goes, why are you heading south so fast? I said, well, I work for the Boy Scouts. And so I told him what I was doing. And he said, okay. He said, well, we're always interested in anybody who's heading south that fast. And so had a good conversation with him. And he said, listen, 105 is a little fast. There is a carcass in the road up a few miles. Um, and we've seen some deer, you know, you probably ought to shut it down to about 80 or 85. And I was like, really? No warning or anything? And the guy shrugs and he goes, border patrol, I don't give you speeding tickets. <laughs> and I was like, oh my gosh. So felt pretty lucky um, in that instance. And, you know, the only other time I got pulled over was by border patrol again, 95 and a 55. And uh, they had caught me on uh, by airplane. And so they waited for me to get closer to the next town and they pulled across the road and pulled me over and asked what was going on. And I just told, hey, I'm going to a Cub Scout meeting. Like, they said, okay, have a great day. Um, another one, uh, interesting story. So there's a town out in West Texas called Ira Ann, I-R-A-A-N. And it's a cool town, but their scout hut was built, kind of looked like the Alamo. And so my wife and I, we're coming back and I said, hey, let's go check out this old scout hut. And there was the back wall had fallen down, but there was still some scout stuff in it. And, you know, my scout exec had said, you know, well, hey, why don't you grab some of the stuff? We'll take a look at it. And then maybe we'll go back out there and kind of clean it out because nobody used this old scout hut anymore. And it was just kind of falling in. And so it was just about dusk. It was dark inside the building. And my wife said, I'm not going in there because she's smart that way. She said, you go in there and I'll watch. So okay. And so I go in and I just had this eerie feeling like something wasn't right. And I, I just, I didn't know what. And right about that time, I fall through the hardwood floor up to my hip on my right leg, which coincidentally is not, that's the first time it had happened, not the last. I've done it several times because of where I go do photography and hold houses and stuff. But I fall through the floor and all of a sudden there's just this rush of people. And it felt like there were about 5,000 people in there, but realistically it was probably only 15 people. And apparently they were, you know, illegal immigrants that were kind of passing through and they'd taken up refuge in this building overnight. And my scout uniform looked like border patrol. And so apparently they thought I was there to get them. And so they all went running past me. And I don't know what was going on in my head. Keep in mind, it's dark. I had just fallen through the floor up to my hip. And all I could think was, I don't know what's after these people, but it's not going to get my chubby butt. <laughs> so I start punching the floor and breaking the floor and I tear out of it. And I go jumping out, you know, the back wall. And my wife, all she can see is all these people come running out and I'm not with them. And then all of a sudden here I come running out, um, you know, after them. And it took me a while to realize that they weren't running from some animal or something. They were running from me because they all kept turning around looking at me. <laughs> and it occurred to me they thought I was Border Patrol. So they were running away from, from me. 
and I was running for no particular reason. So I quit that pretty quick. <laughs> so uh, another quick story. So we uh, we had about an 8,400-acre Boy Scout camp. We leased out a huge part of it for oil and cattle production, stuff like that. Um, we would lease it out, but we would go tinker around over there. Well, we found this huge, huge crack in the ground, and we put our hand over it, and we realized that there's air blowing up out of it, which indicated that it was a big cavern. And so my boss, uh, my assistant scout exec, Dennis, um, who I don't remember, Dennis, if you're listening to this, I'm sorry, but Dennis was like 6'7", six, 6'8", six, something like that, tall, slender guy, we got up this idea that we should crawl down there a little ways. And so we have, I guess it kind of looked like Laurel and Hardy because Dennis was the tall, skinny guy and I was the short, fat guy. Well, Dennis decides he's going to go in first, which I was happy to let him do. And I crawl down, you know, behind him. And we start moving down and we're down into this cave, I don't know, 15, 20 feet. I mean, we're down in the ground a little ways. And... I, uh, this one particular part, you know, we saw a couple of big, huge rattlesnake skin sheds and he wants to go down a little further. And so he goes down feet first and he said, for you, it might be easier to come down this little section head first. And he's shining his light around and then he goes, oh, oh my goodness. Or something like that. Startled, obviously. And I said, what? And he said, come here and look. And so I'm sliding down belly first at, at, you know, like a, I don't know, 20 degree angle, not super steep, but enough to where I'm definitely heading downhill. And I, all I can look over and see is like this rock wall. And he said, no, come down a little further. So I go down a little further. I said, I can't see anything. And he finally reaches up and grabs my jacket and yanks me down and shines the light. And there in this little hole off to the left is a mummified goat. No telling how long it had been there, but apparently this goat had gotten down into this hole, couldn't get itself out, and so it just crawled back into this hole and it died, and and the air and everything in there had just mummified it. Like its hair had come off and everything, but it just had all four legs kicked up underneath it like it was just, you know, laying there, chewing its cud. But, I mean, obviously it was dead. It was just the skin and bones at that point. And I went, holy crap. And Dennis was like, what? And I'm like, I'm so glad you came down here first because if I'd seen this, I probably would have hurt you (laughs) trying to crawl over you to get out. (laughs) And so we had a pretty good laugh. We never did figure out where the cavern went. The caverns of Sonora were, I think, 30 or 40 miles from there. And there was always question about how many of these caverns linked up. Um, you know, we had some ideas of trying to figure out, you know, maybe dropping some dye down in there with a bunch of water and see where it connected up. And then, you know, it was decided that could maybe be an environmental hazard type thing. And so we didn't, but, uh, yeah, anyway, we ended up calling that place the goat hole. And, uh, so yeah, that, that was pretty interesting. Rattlesnake sheds to a mummified goat. That would definitely scare the P-Wadden out of you, I promise. And speaking of goats, I'll just share my last my last story on this. Um, I'm traveling back late one night, as I often did, because, I mean, 21,000 square miles of West Texas, you'd have a 7 o'clock meeting, and so it may be midnight before I got home. 
and I'm traveling back and, uh, and I forget the name of the little town now, but I'm coming back and there were always animals and stuff in the road. We were always seeing deer, um, you know, goats, regular goats, um, you know, we'd see pronghorn antelope sometimes, uh, birds of all types. We were always running over birds. Um, but I'm cruising back. It's late at night, and I'm coming around this long curve coming into this little town to hang a right to go to Mertzen and then back to San Angelo. And there in the middle of the road could have been, I mean, the devil himself for all I knew. All I saw was this goat-looking figure, but it had four horns that wrapped forward around its head. So two came out of the top and kind of wrapped forward, and then two came around back behind its ears and wrapped forward. And I swerved. I missed it because I thought, I don't want to run into the devil out here in West Texas. And, uh, you know, that would be a bad thing. And when I say, I mean, it is dark, it is desolate. I hadn't passed another car in an hour. I was on my own, right? And so it freaked me out. I didn't know what it was. And so the next day I'm telling uh, my scout exec about it. And he just laughs and laughs and laughs. And he said, have you never heard of a four-horned goat? And I said, I have not. And he goes, obviously you haven't seen one. He said, go look it up. And sure enough, I did. And that's exactly what I saw was a four-horned goat. And they are kind of freaky animals, especially if you've never seen one. And the first time that you meet one is in the middle of a desolate road in West Texas in the middle of the night. <laughs> and so it was not the devil. It was just a four-horned goat. <laughs> Scared the crap out of me. So uh, so anyway, there you have it, guys. That's just, I've got tons of stories about West Texas and my time in scouting period. But that's just me riffing a little bit on a few stories about my time working the Permian Basin District as a district executive for the Concho Valley Council Boy Scouts of America. So what do y'all think? Let me know what other kind of weird and off-the-wall interesting Texas history you'd like to hear about. I want to thank our sponsors again, me and Victory Home Loans. Keep in mind, if you know someone moving to or in Texas or Oklahoma or really any of the other 15 states that I mentioned, let me know. Because if I don't serve that state, uh, I now have partners in this that do serve those states um, that are licensed in those states. So send them my way, themichaelmitchell.com, T-H-E, michaelmitchell.com. And remember, I sell dreams, not mortgages. So before we unhitch this wagon, I do want to mention, uh, go check out my, my newer group that I hope to do something with pretty soon, but life's, life's a little busy, but I'm getting there. Your Bucket List, Y-O-U-R Bucket List. That's a cool one that I'm uh, trying to get members built up so we can start helping people mark items off their bucket list. Um, there's a picture of a map with a compass on it. Um, just go join. Hop on there, join, and then we're going to start doing some fun stuff with it pretty cool or pretty soon. Uh, another cool Facebook group is uh, Our Old House Restoration Wichita Falls, started by my friend Kim Jackson and her husband Mark, one of my best friends. Um, they're working on their old house here in Wichita Falls. So if you like old houses and stuff like that, jump on there. They've got some cool stuff going on. They've actually borrowed all the scaffolding that I've got. 
they're doing windows and stuff right now and i don't know i may have to put them to work over here at my house if they keep it up of course you know join the uh, once upon a time facebook page and group um always put some stuff out on there and people can get a hold of me um stuart brown is the owner or i guess the lead owner head owner whatever of victory home loans and he and i are talking about starting a new podcast in the not too different distant future um basically just not necessarily about mortgages but just about winning just kind of some positive winning conversations we hadn't come up with a name for it yet but i think we're going to start putting that out but basically it's, it's going to be something along the lines of winning conversations um so pretty much how you can go about winning at pretty much whatever you do super positive we're going to get guests and stuff on there we're still trying to noodle out the technology because hell after 47 episodes i've just barely figured this out <laughs> for this podcast but uh it'll definitely get you fired up about whatever's going on and and you know, in your life and maybe give you some inspiration to uh, just have a positive outlook and make it happen. So there you go. Your bucket list. Once upon a time, Facebook page and group, our old house restoration, Wichita Falls. And then I'll let you know about the podcast that uh, I'm starting with Mr. Stuart Brown in the not too terribly distant future. So thank you all for tuning in to Once Upon a Time in Texas. Um, this is coming out, uh, this week. So the next one is going to be, yeah, right after Christmas. If I do it, I'm not sure I'm going to have time to get it done because we got a lot of stuff going on. So I'll let you know, but either way, y'all have a very Merry Christmas, a Happy New Year, just in case I'm not back, um, on the podcast between Christmas and New Year's. Hope you guys have a great time. Be safe if you're traveling. Um, you know, the whole happy holidays, Merry Christmas, God bless. As always, remember, the stars at night are big and bright, deep in the heart of Texas. Y'all have a great week and holidays.